0: a wonderful dimension and have uh, really appreciated the messages that I heard this morning from uh, Tom Drought and Brother Ruby and uh, I'm sure that all week you've had the same quality of preaching here and as long as men preach like that our future is secure. Praise God. I want to preach from Mark's Gospel chapter 8. If you have your Bibles I'd like for you to turn there with me. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 8. I have uh, an interesting uh, set of little uh, statistics here. And uh, one of these is Tuesday, November 3, 1998. Mark McGuire's 50th home run ball hit August the 20th, sold for $40,000 at Christie's Auction House in New York. $40,000 for baseball. Marilyn Monroe, ten twenty-eight ninety-nine. Marilyn Monroe mania grip Midtown last night is the bomb- bombshell's famed "Happy Birthday, Mr. President" dress sold for an eye-popping one point one five million at a star-studded blockbuster auction. One point one five million for a dress. Three thirty ninety-nine. Los Angeles, OJ Simpson's Heisman Trophy was sold for two hundred and thirty thousand dollars to a phone bidder last night. eleven twenty five ninety-seven. The Ganses, who ran a costume jewelry business, began their collection in nineteen forty one with a single seven thousand dollar painting. Picasso's The Dream, painted in nineteen thirty two. The work was on the block for thirty million dollars, the single most expensive piece offered in years. It's almost unbelievable that we're reading those statistics, but you see, it seems that no price is too great to pay for the things that we value. And having read that tonight, there is a statement in the Bible that lets us know that there is an infinite price that God puts upon souls. It cannot actually be valued in human terms and this is one of the scriptures that we have before us but I'm afraid this evening that our lifestyle and I wonder many times if we're genuinely acting in the light that we believe that fact that souls are beyond price Mark's Gospel chapter 8 beginning with verse 34 Jesus says, when he, Jesus had called the people to Himself, with His disciples also, He said to them, Whoever uh, desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I want to preach to you tonight on the price. First of all, as I begin to ponder this, I want to consider with you for a few minutes the value of a soul we seldom ever contemplate the value of a soul how are you going to contemplate, uh, uh, contemplate how are you going to calculate the value of a soul if tonight someone is killed in a wrongful death suit there's a uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, an accident or some kind of an event transpires and someone is uh, life is taken from them and their family or their relatives or their wife uh, begins to sue, and uh, they sue in a wrongful death suit. Uh, The lawyers will calculate uh, the earnings of that person over a lifetime and project that, uh, and they'll make that a part of their suit uh, uh, valued upon the lifetime earnings of that person over the period of a lifetime. That becomes the price that is put uh, upon that life uh, in a wrongful death suit. What about an individual tonight? Saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, wonderfully blessed of God, uh, and uh, has the glorious potential uh, for eternity, redeemed and restored, uh, and uh, tasting what the Scripture says uh, are the powers of the world to come, uh, how much is that individual worth laboring for God and for the kingdom of God? Something to contemplate, isn't it? But here, uh, as we look at this, we have... Uh, God as Creator, and as God is Creator, He has created uh, you and I. He has created the souls that are upon planet Earth, uh, and He has created them. Uh, uh, can you imagine how much He values, and as He looks upon them, uh, the pride that He takes, uh, and the the uh, the moving of His heart over the value of the souls that He's created? If you tonight paint a painting, uh, you uh, are naturally. Uh, 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 filled with appreciation for the work of your own hands. If you build a building, if you carve a carving, if you uh, do any of these things, you have a natural appreciation and you place value upon that. Some of you have uh, in your uh, archives a uh, certificate from the first grade when you graduated because you value that. Some of you have bumper stickers, no doubt. You see these all the time. Uh, My child is an honor student at uh, uh, Berry Hill High or whatever. Right? Nebuchadnezzar walked on the walls of Babylon. And uh, uh, some uh, 24 chariots could race uh, abreast on that chariot wall. This is the city that he built. He looked over this uh, and uh, and, uh, in pride he valued this and he said look at this great city which I've built and so as we begin to ponder the value of souls, as Jesus brings us to grip with that, there is a, uh, there's a prospect there that we need to examine. And the Bible gives us insight because Jesus puts the world, the entire world, all of creation, in one side of the scales, and He puts a soul in the other side of the scales, and He contrasts these, and He says, as far as value Uh, This one soul is worth more than the entire wealth of this world. And in verse 36 he says these words, uh, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Some years ago uh, we were in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, Egypt, we went into the Egyptian Museum and there were the, uh, some of the, uh, on display, the wealth of the pharaohs and uh, their furniture. They were so wealthy that their very furniture was made out of gold. When they buried them, they didn't just bury them in one coffin, but there were uh, several sarcophagi that were made out of solid gold, uh, totally beyond price or measure. And as we begin to think about that, uh, the wealth of this world is considerable couple three years ago I read about Bill Gates and uh, Bill Gates I think that year made uh, some uh, 38 billion dollars that's that's more than I made last year (laughs) somebody just told me the other day that in a fluctuation of the stock market in one day he made four billion when we begin to think of this the world is filled with wealth uh, uh, but I want to tell you that Jesus says uh, that all the wealth of Bill Gates, uh, all the wealth of the pharaohs, all the wealth of this world, when it's put in the scales, uh, compared to one precious soul, is as nothing. You get some insight from the Bible. When we read the scriptures about the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1 18 and 19, knowing That you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That word precious uh, is a word that represents something that is beyond measure. And so if the precious blood of Jesus Christ uh, was shed for your soul, this means that... Soul has infinite worth in the presence of God. An ancient story of Abraham. Abraham goes against the five kings of Chedorlaomer. He uh, defeats them by the power of God with 318 servants trained in his own home. And as he does that, then... He gains the booty, uh, not only the soul of his his family, a lot in his family, but he gains a great booty, and as he's coming back, he meets the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom says to him in Genesis 14 and verse 21, Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the souls and take the goods for yourself. The devil has always been a very astute businessman. He knows where real worth is, uh, and you can be sure... Uh, that he understands the value of a precious soul the apostle paul underlines this in the book of acts chapter 20 verse 28 therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock uh, among which the holy spirit has made you overseers uh, to shepherd the church of god uh, which he purchased with his own blood and as he speaks of the church of god he's not talking about a building or an institution he's talking about people the souls uh, They're in the church of Jesus Christ. That's not only true in the eternal perspective. It's also true in the the present. Let's take one person. As uh, the testimony came, uh, two or three in the last two nights. One person saved from sin, filled with the Holy Ghost. uh, begin to be turned on uh, or taken out immediately to begin to witness and win souls uh, and uh, they become a disciple uh, and uh, then they go out and plant a church uh, and uh, begin to win souls for heaven. How can you calculate the value of that one person's life? A number of years ago we had a man who went into Mexico. He opened up the nation of Mexico for us. I remember the first time that I ever went across the border in Mexico. God, did. I was praying. God spoke to me. Uh, the name Nogales. I didn't even know where it was. I'd heard the name, uh, but had no idea where it was. Got a map and looked it up. In the process of time, we sent a worker there. Uh, this worker went down, opened up uh, uh, in, uh, below the border in uh, Nogales, Mexico, uh, and, uh, and uh, opened that nation for us. The first time I went uh, across the border, I was terrified. I went five or six, seven blocks. I said, take me back across. This is a foreign country. I felt like an alien, which I was. That man today has gone on. He's playing with himself somewhere in the world. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, But I go into Mexico today, and as a result of that one man opening that nation, we have some 150 to 160 churches there, and I preach to hundreds and thousands of people the gospel of Jesus Christ because of that one man who opened the door. So as we begin to ponder this tonight, how much more, when the scales of eternity are weighed up, how much more will the value of just one person be than the entire wealth of this world? That's the value of a soul. I want to talk to you for a moment about the challenge of the hour. Now, we've had some testimonies tonight about crosses on floats and uh, bearing the crosses. There's a, there's a man that, and this is very valid, uh, uh, and, and uh, we do this. Uh, there's a man named Arthur Blessed. He has been made famous because he goes across uh, uh, nations and across this nation, uh, and uh, he carries a huge uh, wooden cross and drags it across the country, uh, and, uh, and this is valid, uh, and uh, while this uh, has some... Uh, value. Uh, there may be some discomfort, but that's not bearing the cross. That's no big deal. We put men on parades sometimes, winter parades, and and uh, they're scantily clad, and it's winter weather, and they uh, they're tortured on the. But that's that's no big deal. Here in this uh, passage, uh, we get a true insight to what cross bearing is, uh, and cross bearing under one word is self denial. When Jesus said. Uh, 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 I want you to bear your cross. Uh, And he speaks of cross-bearing. It's not uh, taking a wooden cross. It's not uh, uh, being on a cross on the floor. It's denying yourself. Now, pay attention carefully to what I'm saying. He says, come after me and deny himself. Mark 8, 34, when He would called the people to Himself with His disciples also, He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Now, this is the price tonight that must be paid for souls. If tonight you're sitting in this building and you think you're going to get some kind of gimmick uh, or some kind of magic touch uh, or some kind of formula, and you're going to beat the rap, I want to tell you, this is a price that must be paid for souls. Uh, It is self-denial. Any gospel or minister tells you that's not true is lying to you. This is a price. This is what cross-bearing is all about. Uh, it is self-denial. Uh, this is not uh, philosophical. Uh, this is not theological musings. Uh, but this is practical action. In Galatians 4 and verse 19. The Apostle Paul writes, and as he writes there, he's won these souls to the Lord Jesus. They've turned aside now into false doctrine, and he's trying to straighten them back out. And he writes these words, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He wasn't talking about uh, some Pensacola or Toronto, uh, uh, phony spiritual calisthenics uh, where people are giving some kind of phony birthing uh, and uh, and they think they're birthing uh, souls. Uh, he was talking about the agony that must be paid for souls. Uh, it'll cost you your life. The Bible spells this out in Galatians 5.24. Those who Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, what does that mean tonight? They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its lusts. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. This is self-denial. This is not philosophical. This is not some kind of theological musings. This plays out in practical life in self-denial. This will involve the normal pursuits of life. This will begin to make incursions into your time, into your self-interest, into your recreational time, and into your home life. And it begins to make its impact and begins to make its claim. Jesus tells a story, Luke 10. There is a man, and this man goes down to Jericho. While he's on his way, he meets up with thieves who rob him, beat him, strip him naked, leave him half dead in the road. He's disabled, and they go on their way, and here's this desperate man that's laying there. Along comes the pastor. He sees him laying there. He won't even come and take time because he's got busy stuff to do. He's a pastor. He's a priest. Okay? sees this. He will not allow himself to be moved with compassion. He sees that there is a desperate need but actually doesn't want to defile himself with the riffraff of life. It's too bad uh, that people are laying in the gutter, uh, bleeding and half dead, but he doesn't have time to waste with them. He's got busy religious stuff to do. He goes his way and along comes the uh, concert director, the youth pastor. He's the Levite. He sees him laying there. He goes over, takes a look at him, uh, and uh, sees he's in that condition. Uh, he's moved a little bit, but he can't take time out. He's got busy things to do. He goes his way. Jesus said, Then there comes a, along this ethnic. That's what a Samaritan was, you know. He was an ethnic, he was the mixed people. They weren't even considered in Bible days to be worth uh, anything, but to feed the flames of hell. This is why Jesus used that, uh, uh, because He wanted to paint this picture in vivid color to show that many times it's the despised people uh, of this uh, of this world that will do the work of God. He sees this desperate soul. He's moved with natural human compassion, which any human being ought to be. He goes and uh, binds up his wounds, uh, pours in oil and wine, uh, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the nearest uh, inn, and uh, says, uh, take care of this fellow till he recovers. Uh, here's some money. Uh, feed him. Take care of him. And when I come again, if I owe you more, uh, I'm going to give you more of that. Uh, and I'm going to take care of this. Uh, he allowed himself to be moved uh, With compassion for human need. See, if you're going to uh, win souls, if you're going to build a church, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be a real Christian, you're going to have to allow yourself to be moved with compassion. You're going to have to enter into this arena. It's going to take your time. That's what it means uh, to bear the cross. It's self denial. Take your time, it'll take your money, it'll take your attention. Here's this Samaritan, this despised ethnic, uh, but here his self-giving ministers. uh, And when Jesus is finished uh, talking about this man who caused his flesh uh, to suffer to help another human being along the pathway of life, he said to this man, uh, to these people, who is uh, my neighbor? Now tonight as you're sitting in this building... If you think you're going to build a church and not uh, uh, allow yourself to be drawn out uh, to become mixed and mingled with uh, and drawn in uh, to the helping of humanity, you're dead wrong because that's what bearing the cross is all about. It's self-denial. Many people would love to be a pastor of a church as long as they just don't have to mess with people. (laughs) What was Peanuts? He says, the world... Uh, I love the world, but it's the people that I hate. Now we're talking tonight about something uh, that gets down into uh, the normal pursuits of your life and it will disturb uh, and make uh, claims upon your time. There's the second principle that has to do with material goods and pursuits. In 1st John chapter 2:15 through 17 it says do not love the world or the things that are in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever Now those words mean something this is not just a phraseology that you That means uh, it's going to make a claim on you, and it'll make a claim on your living standard. I said it'll make a claim on your living standard. Don't you hate preachers that preach like this? This may mean, Pastor, that you're going to have to live on a reduced income. This might mean that you're going to have to work part-time so that you can uh, develop yourself into your ministry. And I find this to be the greatest failing of of pastors today is pastors uh, are pastoring as a hobby, but their main pursuit uh, is the making of money. They have to drive a new car. They have to live in a three-bedroom house. Matter of fact, when they're pioneering, they generally have to buy one. uh, And so uh, they can't uh, understand what this is all about. It'll cost you something if you're going to win souls for Christ. I remember when I was in Bible school, In my final year of Bible school, my pastor said to me, "Uh, Wayman, uh, have you thought about getting a better car? I said, no, really haven't. What what, what are you talking about? Well, he said, you know, when you're pastoring, there's an image that you have to uh, project. And uh, so uh, I was driving a 1940, this is 1960, I was driving a 1946 Ford. And I owned a 1950 Mercury. You know, one of those suicide doors open. I mean, it was wonderful. It was like a bathtub turned upside down. Both paid for. If I had it today, I could sell it to the lowriders for a fortune, you know. (laughs) They were paid for. I said, what would I want to buy a car for? These are paid for. They run great. He said, but you've got an image, uh, Wayman, and uh, you need to remember that. Well, uh, fortunately, I ignored his advice and uh, did not get into debt. I came out of Bible school debt-free, was able to take part-time work uh, so that I could develop myself uh, and give myself to ministry. Uh, On my first pastorate, uh, I pastored... uh, I would work one day a week... uh, and that one day a week was enough to keep the wolf from the door, lived in an old shack, uh, built next to the church, uh, and gave myself to study. I, I took that church. We had 17 people, including my family, and most of them were little old ladies. We had, one, we had two little old men that were senior citizens uh, uh, that uh, uh, were dead in a doornail. But I gave myself to studying the Word of God. It was in those days uh, that I worked out uh, uh, my theology and my doctrine, not because of the organization I was in, but because I believed it myself. As a matter of fact, they don't believe many of the doctrines that uh, they used to believe, uh, but I believed them because I worked them out in the Bible uh, and uh, came to those firm conclusions. Uh, and many of the Bible foundations I have today uh, that have guided me. I worked out. And those days when I worked one day a week, I worked for a company. They, I could have worked every day. They wanted me to come every day. And I would not do it. I said, "Nope, uh, I'm only working just enough. Occasionally when an emergency came, I would work two days uh, to help make up. But I worked one day a week because it will cost you something to win souls. means you can't eat out three times a week. I remember my first pastor, we... Uh, The highlight of our whole week is uh, there was a little uh, neighborhood grocery store uh, up the road. And uh, after Sunday night service, my uh, little wife, while I was trying to relax and get uh, dressed, uh, she'd run up to this neighborhood grocery store, and they had a grill back there. And uh, this place was called Greasy John's. The reason it's called Greasy John's, it was greasy. (laughs) Back of the store, he had a grill. This grill had never been cleaned in his entire life. It was bowed in the middle from heat. On each end, there were tin cans that caught the grease. And, uh, but old John could cook greasy hamburgers for 25 cents a, a piece that would drip in your hands, loaded with onions, tomatoes, lettuce, and they were wonderful. That was the highlight of our entire week. I made a mistake of going up myself to Greasy John's, and I think Greasy John repaired cars on the side because when he was working up those wonderful hamburger patties, I saw his fingernails, uh, and all these fingernails had black grease under them, and that was the last time I ever ate a hamburger from Greasy John's. I pastored in Eugene, Oregon. We took a church that no one else would take there years ago. And uh, that was about the time that Taco Bell came online. They were trying to get customers. And they advertised tacos on Sunday, 15 cents apiece. Wow, man, that was fat city. After, after church, we'd take our little brood, our five kids up there, and I tell you, uh, we could dine royally. And that was our eating out. You can't eat out three times a week and uh, pastor a church. There are sacrifices to be made, and in those sacrifices to be made, it means you're going to have to adjust your living style. When I was in Bible school, I ate many pots of Spam stew. Yum, 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 yum. And lots of spaghetti. I didn't even know meat had a bone for years. The question is tonight, uh, is that my ambition was, I had a trade, I could have made good money any place I ever lived uh, after I got out of the military, but my, uh, my ambition was uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and my priority and my focus uh, was on preaching the gospel, uh, and I paid that price, uh, and I'm asking you tonight, what price will you pay for souls? Because that's the issue that confronts you tonight. Most anyone in America that wants to work is working and making money tonight. But the issue is, what do you want to do? Do you want to make money or do you want to win souls? If you want to win souls, uh, it's automatically going to adjust your living style. It's going to cut into that. And the the question I'm asking you, what price will you pay for a precious soul? Here's the Apostle Paul. He paid the price. 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others uh, I myself uh, might become disqualified. So here he lays it out uh, and he says it's going to cost you something. Uh, If you're going to be a soul winner, you're going to build a church for Christ. Uh, It's going to cost you something. I want to talk to you for a moment about the cost of going. Now, they're vivid memories uh, uh, and images uh, that are in the Bible that Jesus lays down for us. He lays these out in the image of the tower builder. And he talks about the tower builder in Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? He says, here is the imagery, and this imagery is a man that comes out of everyday life, a a man would be a fool to sit down and start to build a tower and not figure it's going to cost him something to build that. He carries that on to the warrior. Brother uh, Ruby preached ably about the warrior this morning. And in the 31st verse, he says, What king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? What Jesus was saying is, you're going to have to count the cost. And he was saying to them, this will cost you something. He did not... Uh, fool his disciples and make them think this is going to be some uh, uh, walk in the roses. He said before they went out, this can cost you something and he lays these images out he told them about the risk, he told them about the cost, he told them about the labor because the cost of going this uh, evening is total commitment. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Here's a paradox. Jesus said you want to save your life. And what He's talking about is the ease, the comfort, the security. And He says to them very plainly, whoever will save his life will lose it. But if you will lose your life for My sake and the Gospels, you're going to find it. Here's a spiritual paradox. And He lays that out. And he says this is an axiom, and this axiom is true, and without you fulfilling this, uh, you will not uh, build uh, the kingdom of God. This involves your family. This involves your friends. This involves your city. It may involve your nation." Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What a contrast with today's generation when you begin to talk to them about an opportunity. Well, how big is the city? Well, how much does it pay? Is it hot? Is it cold? Uh, what kind of people are in that? Uh, all these questions uh, are coming. Uh, and until uh, uh, this fits into uh, our preference, our personal preference, we're not willing to sacrifice uh, and we're not willing to go and say, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, whatever, uh, whatever the, uh, the cost is going to be, I don't care what the cost is. Tell me. Give me an opportunity and I'll go to fulfill it. Are you still with me tonight? Whoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospel will find it. Here's Abraham. He's in present-day Iraq near the city of Baghdad, which was Ur of the Chaldees. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to leave your home. I want you to uproot your family. I want you to go into a land that I'll show you. And the Bible says he left and went not knowing where he was going. Now that's the kingdom of God. That's what God's about By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Jesus puts this in kingdom truth. He says there's a man. He's working in a field that doesn't belong to him. He's a hired hand. He's plowing. And as he's plowing, suddenly his plow hits something. He goes to examine what this is. And he finds a treasure chest. This treasure chest has been buried there, perhaps in some conflict or war. And the individual has buried it there, uh, uh, intending to come back later for it, uh, but perhaps he's perished. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, it's there and it's left. And the laws of the land are, whoever owns the field owns the treasure. He goes. He sells everything that he has. He liquidates totally and makes that field his. Uh, and by law, as the field is his, uh, now the treasure that is there. And he says, this is the way the kingdom of God is, when you begin to discover how valuable this is, uh, when you begin to treasure souls uh, like I treasure souls, uh, you will go liquidate everything that you have uh, and you'll give yourself totally to the kingdom of God uh, because it's a treasure beyond description. He uses this imagery in a man who is a dealer in precious gems. And one day as he's dealing and he's shuffling these back and forth, he sees one pearl and he understands the value of that. He sees this value is of tremendous value. It's absolutely perfect. It's one pearl of great price he uh, uh, then uh, goes and liquidates all that he has uh, sells everything that he has uh, and he makes that one pearl of great price his uh, because he understands uh, the value of what he has uh, in his hands jesus said uh, this is like the kingdom of god very interesting today we see uh, young people many times they're uh, willing to go i don't know how, how many of you realize what a tremendous treasure you're sitting in tonight look, look around you I'd, I'd say the average age in this place is 30, 30 years old what fantastic potential would to God I was 30 years old and knew what I knew today look around you and see the ratio of men to women very very rare church world. That's no accident. That is because of what we are. When I was a young pastor in 1963, I was offered a church in Courtney, British Columbia, Vancouver Island, Canada. I bundled up my four children. We... Went on our journey, I had a 1955 car, eight years old. I've moved up in the world now, it's a little older model. Took those four children. There was no mother church that stood back and said, uh, uh, just uh, uh, send your budget in and we'll help you. There was no mother church, it was us and God. I arrived in Courtney, Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada with four children, Everything we owned, we hauled in a four-by-six-by-eight trailer. We immigrated. We landed, and they called us uh, landed immigrants in a strange country. To a church that had been destroyed by a moral problem, with a pastor still living in that city and working at a job and living with his squeeze. Worst of all, conditions to go into. Took four children into that. I arrived with $35 in my pocket. Hey, Pastor, weren't you, weren't you concerned about it? I never gave it a thought. I was filled with faith and confidence that God would take care of me because I felt that's what God wanted me to do. And he did. And I survived. And I'm here tonight to tell you about it. Are you still with me? See, sometimes when people are young, they're willing to do that. But you see, I wasn't that young anymore. I was 33 years old then. Some of you are sitting there, you're 28, you think that that the whole world has passed you by. Sometimes when you get a little older, you begin to get very cautious. And you start to think about uh, what Jesus said. Take no thought for tomorrow. What shall we put on? What shall we eat? We forget that we have a Heavenly Father. And the Heavenly Father that's taken care of us so far certainly is able to see us through to the end. Can you say amen? If God would release me tonight from my responsibilities, I, I He won't. I've tried several times to get Him to. He won't. Uh, the reason is uh, that if I did, uh, uh, groups of people would be off playing by them uh, with themselves in a corner in six months. Uh, and so I have to say, I would resign today and I would go pioneer in a city and do something for God fresh because God is a God on the throne and He'll take care of me. I have a clipping concerning William Carey. Bear with me for a moment. William Carey was a fantastic missionary to India. And he says if there ever was a person who exemplified the missionary spirit, it was William Carey. William Carey spent 41 years in India, a place where the average life expectancy of a foreigner at that time was six months. He lost children, wives, and friends in the process, but he still kept marching forward. William's wife started to lose her mind. She threatened William with a knife, and for the next 12 years, William's wife would be locked up in an adjoining room while William spent countless hours translating the Bible into India's native language and dialect. You say that was just, you see, there was no telephone then that William could come home, uh, call home to uh, to uh, England, and say, Pastor Mitchell, uh, would you wire us a ticket? We have got to get out of here. He went to India with God. He had not the support mechanisms that are so dependent today. Carrie's wife proves that what happens when there's a lack of preparation in a person's heart, she left her heart in England. When she got to India, she constantly complained about how things were too inhumane, uh, and the devil will always exploit a person that is not sold out to the call. A divided heart will eventually lead to a person uh, uh, to quit. It's like a runner who starts to entertain the thought of stopping because he feels he can't go on. The more he entertains it, the more likely it is he will quit. In a sense, Mrs. Carey was like Lot's wife who looked back. Carey never wrote home to England. He outlived two wives and was married three times. He commented uh, towards the end of his life that if he was to go back to England, he'd have to establish new friendships because all of his friends... uh, from England had died. For. Now that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. Why is he wise? Because of the infinite value of a precious soul. The book of Daniel 12.3 says those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so here we have the clear presentation. The cost of going is going to be at the price of everything that you hold dear. What price tonight will you pay for souls? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've got to think about my retirement. I didn't ask you about your retirement. I asked you about what price you'd pay for souls. Listen to this poem. This poem I pulled out of the archives, and I can hardly read it uh, without tears coming to my eyes. It's called Wild. They've called you in custom. They've primed you with their preaching. They've soaked you in convention through and through. They've put you in a showcase, you're a credit to their teaching, but don't you hear the wild, it's calling you. (laughs) When I read that, there's something happens to my heart. It's the adventure for God, hallelujah. Don't you hear the wild, it's calling you. That's the uncharted pathway. Of God's adventure, who knows what God will do with a man or a woman that'll dare to venture out and believe God? Oh, but Pastor, uh, what kinds of climate they have there? Uh, but Pastor, does it rain? Pastor, does the sunshine? Uh, uh, what kind of what does that have to do with anything? Don't you hear the wild? It's calling you. Let us probe the silent places. Let us seek what luck betide us. Let us journey to a comely land I know. There's a whisper on the night wind. There's a star a gleam to guide us. And the wild is calling, calling, let us go. Does that move you? If it doesn't, you're dead. The adventure for God. When they said to me, we've got a church in Courtney, British Columbia, Vancouver Island, and uh, they don't have a pastor and uh, this is an open opportunity for you. I said to my wife I said, what do you think? she said, let's go." <laughs> Hallelujah! What a woman. Kids, no supporting church, no mother church to call on, just us and God. She said, Let's go. Four kids. Are you like that, dear, tonight? Does that same spirit throb in your heart? We had a precious brother. That many of you had preached for you, his name's Vic Eason. Vic Eason built a powerful church in Kisumu, Kenya. He left a powerful church in uh, in Rancho Kumonga, Cucamonga, California, went to Scotland, pioneered a church there, left that, pioneered one in Kisumu, Kenya, came to me and said, "Pastor, uh, we we want to go to Zambia." I didn't know where Zambia was. Dick Eason went in at 53 years of age into Zambia. On the trip in, he'd forgotten his Bible, went into a bookstore to try to buy a Bible, met a man, John Chisha. began to talk to him. This man began to open to him the connections that he needed. He's a pastor for us there today. Vic Eason opened up Zambia where you have several Northwest missionaries laboring today, can I say, gloriously, fruitfully. One year, five hundred people. And one of the missionaries was complaining, Larry Miller was complaining to Joe Campbell, and he was belly aching about the conditions and all this. And Joe told him, said, Larry, we can bring you back and you can pass it the thirty people you're passing before you left. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Larry only runs about uh, 1,100 now. Vic Eason was the man that opened that country. When we send a missionary into that country, they have a visa as a resident when they walk through customs. We get all their furniture in. We get tents in from South Africa. No customs paid on it. Uh, all that was opened by Vic Eason. When they get to a city, all they do is go in and say, I'm here to plant a church for Jesus Christ, uh, for the potter's house, uh, and uh, I need a piece of property. And they're giving us prime property uh, in every city that we go into. Uh, and they're building powerful, powerful powerful churches that was started by Vic Eason at age 53. Chuck and Arlene Hansen went in. They were one of the couples that pioneered in Kitwe, Zambia. Chuck Hansen went into Zambia at age 63. in the Democratic Republic of the Congo able to obtain a piece of property just finished building a church building that will house the wonderful work that God's doing he's just within a stone's throw from a civil war that's raging they had to stay in for about three weeks in their house, didn't go out Uh, but you see uh, Chuck and Arlene Hansen are not living for this world they're living for the next world they're giving their lives uh, for the kingdom of God and seeing fruitfulness because they dared to pay the price. There is a price to pay to go. Tonight as we look into this passage of Scripture and we ponder the tremendous opportunities that are before us, can you contemplate going into a city and having 500 people in one year? I was just in Acapulco, Mexico down in Sin City but you see there's a whole other city besides Sin City which is normal working people little pastor there uh, is out of uh, 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 Tijuana uh, out of Rigo Munoz's church planted him in there doesn't even speak English they got me to go in I said yes I'll go in not knowing what we're going to be dealing with going to do a crusade we're in a little high school auditorium there, 675 people, 340 people saved in three services. See, that, that's the world. It's everywhere around you. That's the opportunities uh, that are before us uh, if we will begin to understand uh, there is a price. You will not see these things happen without paying A price. There's a price to pay. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. What price will you pay tonight? Before I change this service to other things,